Monday, I knew that uh, I had to take the boys to a day camp uh, out in Ephrata, one of the camps that we kind of get behind as a church, is a, is a camp in uh, north of Ephrata in the mountain uh, mountains up there, uh, and uh, it's called Woodcrest, and we, it was just a day camp, so we dropped the boys off in the morning and pick them up again in the evening, and I knew uh, that I had to do both on Monday, so I decided to just set up shop out in Lancaster County on Monday, find a coffee shop, bring my, my Bible and my computer, and uh, prep for this message. And if I if there was time, maybe get to a few emails or whatever. But I was mostly going to be spending the day preparing a sermon on peace. And so I go to the coffee shop, and I find a nice peaceful cup of coffee. And I found a nice peaceful table. And it was in a nice peaceful coffee shop. And there was not many people in there. And it was a uh, pretty mellow sound and everything. Kind of the atmosphere was right. And so I open up my computer and I take out the word and I lay it on the table. And as soon as I open it up, I see a guy come walking through the door carrying a big air compressor in one hand and pneumatic tools in the other hand because he was going to be doing work on the coffee shop. And I started laughing right away. I'm like, of course, you know. But you know what? They were pneumatic tools. That's pneuma. That's the word for spirit, wind. So I was like, ah, but the fruits of the spirit. So, you know, uh, there's, they actually say that, uh, the cafe sounds, I don't know if you know this, the study just recently came out that said cafe sounds stimulate creativity and focus in the human brain. That that's clinically proven at this point that just the kind of white noise of a cafe help a person in general, help the human mind focus and uh, and foster creativity. So there's actually websites that you can go to where you go to the website and it plays cafe sounds in the background, just kind of people talking and different stuff happening. You know, it's just like white noise in the background. It's kind of funny. But isn't it amazing how, like, when it comes to peace, finding kind of an atmosphere of peace that there are a lot of factors that affect it. Noise is one of them, isn't it? You know, if things are far too noisy, if there's a jackhammer or pneumatic tools and air compressor right next to you, it's kind of hard to have that atmosphere of peace, right? And uh, and But it's not just noise, of course. There's a lot of other factors as well. Speed, how fast we're going. You know, when life is going really fast and we're trying to get everything accomplished, have you ever tried to pack too much into one day and then it doesn't end up being a very peaceful day, you know? And, uh, and what else? There are things like complexity versus simplicity. When you open up that menu and there's way too many options on the menu, you don't have peace about what you're going to pick, you know? And, uh, and also beauty. Beauty is another big one. If you're staring at a trash heap, it's a little bit harder to have peace than if you're watching a beautiful sunset, right? Uh, so beauty has some, there's a lot of things that, f- a lot of factors that affect external peace, like the atmosphere of peace. And, uh, yeah, that's important to, to know, but, the problem, of course, with all that, you, you might say, like, well, duh, Tim, is this a message or what is this? You know, why? of course, that's that's intuitive. We all know that those things affect peace. That's not what the Bible, uh, we don't need the Bible to tell us that. That's the peace that, that just makes sense. Um, but the problem is we can't control the atmosphere all the time, can we? If we could, we'd all be on vacation in Tahiti 24-7 or something, you know, or we'd be in the mountains under in a sunset, you know, and, and there'd always be beautiful noise playing and birds chirping and all of that if we could completely control our atmosphere, but we can't. We just can't control our atmosphere. And so then peace, the, the, the stuff on the outside that helps create an atmosphere of peace, when that's messed up, we're still supposed to have peace, which means we need a peace that passes understanding. 
right? We need peace that goes beyond understanding, a deeper peace, a peace that is on the inside so that no matter what's going on on the outside, we can still have peace. Listen to this uh, passage in Proverbs 14.30. I love this. Listen to this one, okay? A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Isn't that a great verse? A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. If we try to get peace starting on the outside and then bring it to the inside, if we try to get our hearts in the right place just by getting the atmosphere right, you know what that tends to lead to? Envy. It tends to lead to that because we want this situation and we want that situation and we're trying so hard to fix the external situations that it ends up stressing us out and we end up having all sorts of issues. But if we get our heart right, then no matter what's going on on the outside, it breathes life to our body if our hearts are in the right position. You know, uh, external things are really important when it comes to peace. There's no getting around that. I mean, if you don't get sleep, you're not going to have peace. If you don't ever eat, you're not going to have peace. If we get no exercise, if we have no mental creativity, if, there, if we're not doing the right things to take care of ourselves the way we're supposed to, it's going to affect us and we're going to have a hard time having peace. But what this passage says, what that verse says, is that when we're right on the inside, it actually brings life to the body. More than it goes from the outside in, it goes from the inside out. It goes both directions, but, but more it goes from the inside out. You know, uh, the interesting thing about peace is that peace doesn't just happen to us. Peace isn't something that chases us. It doesn't come and get us. And peace also isn't inside of us. It doesn't come to us, and it doesn't come from us. Peace exists outside of us. How do we know that? Because there's at least three passages, one in the Psalms, one in Isaiah, and one in First Peter, that all tell us to seek peace and to pursue it. If I seek peace, then that means I don't already have it. And if, if I have to seek peace, it means it's not coming to me. It means I have to go and I have to chase it and I have to find it. But if I'm chasing peace, and yet I'm not supposed to be just trying to control my circumstances, then that means that, that my pursuit is not an external pursuit of peace, but it's an internal pursuit of peace. So it means what I'm actually looking for is something in my heart, and yet I can't be passive to get it. I actually have to be active inside of my heart in order to achieve the posture of my heart that I need. Does that make sense? Now, this is what the Scriptures say. We're going to get into showing some texts that, that reveal this. But the first posture of the heart that's absolutely essential in order for us to have peace is the posture of trust. And, and we're going to look at some passages. One of them is one that Josh just gave us in the intro when he was telling us about Maggie. But there, there's, a no, there's a number of passages that, that show us that trust is what it takes in order to have peace. But let me explain why that is and, and, and illustrate that first. When the economy got really rough, there was a whole lot of people who got stressed. Most of them were not little children. Why not? Because they trusted their parents. Right? And they didn't have to worry about controlling the circumstances. They were in a posture of trust. And when their heart trusts their parents, their parents have to deal with it 
They don't have to deal with it. Have you ever gone on a trip and uh, you've been the navigator or you've been the one making the arrangements on the trip? You're the one who's responsible. If you have, you know that that can be stressful sometimes, especially if you have a number of other people with you and you're the one who has to make all the arrangements. Everyone else is having fun and having a good time and kicking back. But for you, you've got to make sure that you're getting where you're going and that everything's lined up. Maybe you've also been on a trip where there's a tour guide. And it changes the game completely. You don't have to worry about a thing, you know, because you trust the tour guide. If you can trust the person who's navigating, what's even worse is if you're not the one navigating, but you can't trust the person who is. That's just terrible, you know. And so it's really important. The posture of trust in our heart, what happens is when we trust, we can be at peace and we can, and we can be okay with, with what it is that needs to happen. So Isaiah, this is the passage that, that Josh uh, quoted from Isaiah 26, three, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Look at that. You will keep in perfect peace, perfect peace. This isn't a little bit of peace. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. What does steadfast mean? Like a rock, study, uh, steady. He hides me in the cleft of the rock in a dry and thirsty land. And he hides me under here. He's a rock. He's immovable. He's unchangeable. If dad is in charge, if Jesus is the tour guide on the journey, I can have complete and total rest so long as I trust in him. I will have perfect peace as long as I trust Jesus, which is why Jesus says this. If you look in John chapter 14, Jesus says this awesome thing in John chapter 14. And of course, this is the uh, John 13 all the way through uh, the crucifixion. Jesus is mostly talking about the Holy Spirit. It's all this moment right before he goes to the cross. And this is what he says. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus doesn't give as the world gives. If the world was trying to give you peace, if your boss was trying to give you peace, how would he do it? Take a couple extra days off. Go on vacation. You know, here, here's a free vacation. That'd be a huge way of trying to give a person peace. That's as the world gives peace, trying to fix external things. Jesus says, I don't give as the world gives peace. I leave with you. He doesn't leave us with a vacation. He doesn't leave us with a salary raise. He doesn't leave us with circumstantial changes. What he leaves us with is the essence of what we're actually looking for, peace. And he leaves his own peace, which is his own spirit. He's talking about his Holy Spirit here, who is our comforter, who is our guide, and who is our advocate. That's what he, this whole passage, that's what he's talking about in John chapter 14. When we have a problem, he's the advocate. When we're lost and confused, he's the guide. He's the one who always takes care of us. He's our protector, our comforter. When we have troubles, he comforts us in all our sorrows. And this is the peace that Jesus lives, leaves for us, which is exactly why in Philippians 4, you know this passage, right? You know this one. You, you should have already thought of this as I was talking about this. Don't be stressed about anything. That's a better way of saying it in our, that's how I'd translate it. If it was in, don't be stressed about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. 
at all. You're a kid in the middle of an economic collapse. You're still playing games on the floor. Mom and dad have it covered. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't stress about anything. Don't worry about anything. But in everything by what? Prayer. Prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Say it. Amen. Thank you. Come on. You gotta, that's a good one right there. Yeah, that, you know, uh, this is amazing. Basically, this is the picture of trust. This is what he says. If you have any worries, if you don't know where you're going, ask me. If you have concerns because there's a, there, there, you're having economic struggles, Petition me, you know, and all the time, thank me, because when you get into an attitude of thanksgiving, you remember that I'm in charge, that it all comes from me. I'm in charge. And you go to that place of rest and then peace gets your heart and your mind. And you know how the lack of peace affects both, right? When it, when it's our mind, we can't stop obsessing and thinking things over and over. And we can't think about the things we're supposed to think about because we're stressed about the things that we shouldn't worry about at this point. And our heart, that's where our emotions, that's where the stress is, where you start to get really tense and the shoulders get tense and that's not good. It rots the bones. It's not good for us, you know? There's all sorts of statistics that prove that stress is not good for us. And so what Jesus is saying is, I'm the guide. I got it. Trust me. Hand it over to me. All right. Now, here's the deal. Uh, there are a number of different ways that we trust God. Three we're going to mention this morning in the remainder of our time. And the second part of this is, is we're going to mention three ways that we trust the guide, that we trust our, our Father God, three ways that we trust Him. But before we do, I just want to ask, and you don't have to raise hands, just ask yourself in your heart, how many of us would like to be able to trust Him more so that we worry less and have more peace? I mean, how many of us would really like to do that? I know I would. I know I would. So before we go any further in this message, I just want to stop and ask God to help us trust him. Okay. God, we thank you because, you know, (laughs) you have never once stopped being faithful. You've never made a wrong turn. You've never made a bad investment. You've never done any move that wasn't full of wisdom. You have all knowledge and you have all power. And you love us. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's three ways that I think that, uh, that I want to focus on today that, that the scriptures really reveal are ways that we trust him that are connected to peace, okay? First of all, if he's dad and we trust him, that means we have to obey him, okay? So righteousness, when we live the way he tells us to, that's righteousness. The scriptures very clearly reveal that righteousness and peace are intrinsically tied. Look at this, Psalm 34, 14. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. You know, that's one of those things where he says it and then he says it again another way. So turn from evil and do good. Let me say it another way. Seek peace. Pursue it. It's the same thing said a different way. That when we turn from evil and and we go toward what God wants, that's the way of us seeking peace. Okay, you know, Colton, our youngest... Jen was asking him the other day, she was asking all of us, where's your favorite place to be? Where's your favorite? And Colton says, on a roller coaster. 
<laughs> that was his favorite place to be. And then we were like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, like the thrill of the roller coaster. And But then he checked a little bit later and he said, I also like to be at Grandma and Grandpa's cabin by the water. And Jen was like, oh, okay, why? And he said, because it's really quiet there. You don't hear a whole lot of people talking and everything. It's peaceful because you don't hear much noise. And I thought it was a pretty acute observation that the lack of noise helps uh, create peace, which is pretty much the polar opposite of a roller coaster where everyone's screaming and, you know, and he's like, I either want this or I want that, you know. And uh, interestingly, in our lives, I think that there's a parallel. There's nothing wrong with roller coasters. But when it comes to our lives, there's a kind of a thrill-seeking part of us that thinks that if we can just get an adrenaline rush out of this thing, if we can do it our way to get immediate sensation of something, some kind of cool, exhilarating feeling, then that will help me. And because of that, we tend to try to shortcut God's plans. So if I want a sense of achievement and respect in my life, I could faithfully work day in and day out, trusting God to affirm me and my character and to allow something good to happen with my life. Or I could cheat at work and cheat the time I spend my, with my family in order to get ahead at work, in order to get quicker satisfaction. And if I do that, what am I doing? Now, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not turning from evil. I'm turning toward evil. This is not righteousness. And in the end, does that bring peace to my life? Never. Never brings peace. It never brings peace. If I shortcut and go after my own self-satisfaction and my own righteousness, my own self-righteousness, and I try to do this on my own, it doesn't work. It never does. It's the same thing with sexuality, isn't it? If someone wants enjoyment on that level, if they go with God's plan, man, this can be the bond in a relationship that can be beautiful. But if they go their own way in order to, to, to get some sort of satisfaction, it never leads to peace, does it? It leads constant turmoil. Constant turmoil. Yeah. So there's a couple other ways that the scriptures show this. I'm just going to read uh, two more scriptures. This is why in uh, Psalm 85.10 it says, He promises peace to his people, his saints. Actually, I want to read this right from the scriptures. Uh, Psalm, if you have your scripture, just turn there for a second. Psalm 85.8-10. to 10. This is a really important passage. I will listen. Psalm, Psalm 85.8-10. to 10. I will listen to what the Lord will say. He promises peace to his people, his saints, but let them not return to their folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and righteousness meet together. Read that with me. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. See that? See that? Righteousness and peace, they kiss each other. When we go God's way, when we trust dad and we do it the way he's our creator and our dad. And when we say, I trust you, I don't have to be in charge. I don't have to make the decisions in my life. You already said how this is supposed to work. You said how sexuality is supposed to work. You said how finances are supposed to work. You said how relationships are supposed to work. You said how all this stuff's going to work. And if I will trust you and obey you right now, my life will be in peace. And if I don't, it'll be in turmoil. Okay. Number two way that we trust God. First is we obey him and in righteousness. Second is in contentment, which means simplicity. Okay? When I am content with what it is that my dad says. And he says, if he's the tour guide, he says, this is where we're going today. Well, I don't want to go there today. I want to go over here and I wish I was over here. I'll go there in obedience, but I won't be content about it. 
you know? And then there's this internal turmoil that happens. Have you ever, um, this thing is a pretty impressive little machine, okay? Um, and, and it's supposed to make life more simple. That's what it promises to do. The whole thing's built on simplicity. If you've ever seen an Apple commercial, they're all about simplicity. And it says things are simple. You push a button and tell Siri what you want on here, and she'll make it happen. Okay, that's that's what's supposed to happen, which means, and there's ways that's really true. If I need to get somewhere, all I have to do is I push this button right here, okay? I push that button, and then I say, Siri, I want to go down the street. And what does she do? She tells me, how to get there. She pulls up a map and she shows me and they give guide instructions right there and it tells me how to get there. That's a tour guide. That's what it is. It's supposed to make life more simple. You know what the problem is? The problem is I can be at the dinner table with my kids and I should be having a conversation with one person, but all of a sudden someone can call me, they can text me, they can Facebook me, they can message me, they can do all... There's about 50 different ways that someone can get a hold of me on this thing while I'm trying to have a simple conversation here. And unless I have the ability to put this thing away, it stops keeping life simple and it makes it really complex. Isn't it amazing how the very things that can be helpful tools can make life really complex? It's all about who our tour guide is. It's all about who dad is. It's all about where it is that we're finding our directions. This is what the scriptures say about simplicity and trust. It says this, Psalm 17.1, Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. It's a pretty good one, isn't it? Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. The other way of saying it is what we already read in Proverbs 14. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Isn't it amazing when we make life a whole lot more complicated by trying to pursue all sorts of other things in our life that we don't really need instead of just trusting Dad with what He's given us. And if we can simply trust Him with what we have and be okay with it. I wish this relationship functioned just this much better. I wish they liked me more. I wish at work that I could get ahead just a little bit more. I wish my health was just a little better this way. I wish this, I wish that. And all of a sudden, there's that internal tension. You know what I mean, right? And it stresses us out. Simplicity, trusting God with what he's already given us. Here's the third way, last way that I want to talk about today of how we trust God. First, we trust him in obedience. And that leads to righteousness. And that is a kissing, that kisses peace, righteousness and, and peace. Simplicity, as I trust him and I'm content with what he's given me. There's no envy and I have peace in my life. But here's, here's the third thing. And this is really important. This is that we trust him in truth. And let me explain what I mean. And we'll get, we'll get into the scripture around it. But this is what I mean. If I'm righteous, it doesn't mean that I'll have peace. If I try to be righteous, it doesn't mean I'll have peace. If I try to live life simply, it doesn't mean that I'll have peace. I know many people who try to live simple lives but don't have peace. And many people who try to live righteous lives and they don't have peace. My job is not to be righteous and my job is not to be simple. What is my job? To trust Jesus. Right? And if trusting Jesus 
leads to obedience that produces righteousness, great. If trusting Jesus means being content with what He has given me and therefore life is simple, great. But if I pursue simplicity and if I pursue righteousness, guess what happens? If I pursue righteousness instead of pursuing Jesus, there's no difference between me and someone who is involved in the religion of Islam. Because Islam is is all about righteousness. You know that? That's what it is. It's all about righteousness, which is why they can look at America and say, really, Christian, when you export all that garbage to us? You know, it's about righteousness. That's what they're trying to, the, the, the Quran teaches righteousness. It says, if you live righteous enough, then Allah may be approving of you. That's efforts toward righteousness. It's pursuing righteousness but it's not trusting the guide. Okay? It's the same thing in legalistic Christianity. Happens all the time. There's no difference in legalistic Christianity if I try to be righteous, but I'm not trusting Jesus. If I'm not just at a place of where I'm receiving the grace of God, following Him, saying whatever you want, I'll go where you want. I'm not trying to be self-righteous. Instead, I'm just trusting Jesus. That can bring peace to my life and peace to my relationships. But if I'm working really hard at being a righteous Christian, guess what? It never produces peace. It always produces internal conflict and turmoil in me, and it produces judgmentalism or shame regarding everyone else. When I pursue righteousness and try to be a righteous Christian, self-righteousness, it doesn't work. But when I trust Jesus and just try to obey Him, it makes all the difference. Same thing with simplicity. Look at this. If I try to live the simple life, if I just try to get simple, and if I just try to have the, an experience where I get to the deepest part of my spirit and just have these experiences with God, there's absolutely no difference between me and Eastern religion. It's the same thing. It's the exact same thing that Eastern religion says. If I will just find my inner peace and I have an experience that helps me find my inner peace, well then, well then I'll be okay. But the problem is, is I get out of that experience and I go out into my day-to-day life And guess what? Bam! The turmoil hits, the tension hits, and I don't have my inner peace anymore. Because the tour guide isn't with me. I'm trying to trust my own ability to have simplicity, but I can't because I can't trust my own heart because my heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all else. It's the same thing that happens in consumer Christianity. We go to church, we have a great spiritual experience with God, and we say, wow, that was great, I feel energized. And then we go out outside of church, and we're not in a place where we're submitted or trusting God with our finances, with our family, with our lives, with our lifestyle choices, with any of that. And if we're not actually trusting God, then righteousness goes missing or peace or simplicity goes missing because I'm pursuing one or the other instead of actually trusting the guide. This is what I mean. When we trust, we actually have to trust the person of Jesus. This isn't just an idea. It's a person. It's not just a paradigm. It's a person. And so we must trust Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. That's what he is. You know, uh, speaking of the Eastern religion thing, talking about peace, listen to what the Dalai Lama says. He said, you're like, Dalai Lama, what are you doing? Well, if there's good science even if they're not Christians and they draw the wrong conclusions at the end of the day around the science, you still listen to the research, right? Because they did good research. Listen to Dalai Lama. The guy thinks about peace all day long. Peace does not mean the absence of conflicts. Differences will always be there. Peace means solving these things through peaceful means. Okay, 
It's kind of a no-brainer, right? I mean, obviously, there's going to be conflict. There's always going to be conflict. Yet peaceful means helps you resolve it. That's what peace looks like. That's a pretty generic definition of peace. Martin Luther King said something very similar, but he said it went a little bit deeper. This is what he said. True peace is not the absence of tension. It's the presence of justice. Okay? That's a little more precise. He's, because what he's saying is you can resolve conflicts, conflicts. People have a sense of trust if they see justice happening. And you're more likely to have peace if people can trust that there's justice. However, if you ask me, that doesn't completely bring peace either. Because justice doesn't lead to forgiveness. You still need forgiveness to cleanse the things that did happen. Justice means it makes things right, but it doesn't mean that my heart goes right. And where does the justice come from anyway? Because people aren't just. And people aren't forgiving in general on their own. Have you heard this phrase? Peace is not the absence of turmoil, but the presence of Jesus. Now that's most precisely what peace is. He is the Prince of Peace. And on the day He was born, angels showed up in the sky. And they said, glory to God in the highest. And on earth... Goodwill toward men on whom his favor rests. And when dad loves us, and when the tour guide shows up, if we choose to follow him, we will have peace if we receive him. We have to seek peace and pursue it, which means we have to seek Jesus and pursue him. And when we seek Jesus and pursue him, the fruit of that is peace. But here's where it all gets messed up. And this is where we end today. In this weird thing that we think that it all makes sense now. Okay, Jesus is the one who brings peace. He comes and it's all good. Jesus is bringing peace. But somehow Christmas isn't always the most peaceful time. And I don't get it all. And then you hear Jesus say this in Matthew chapter 10. Listen to this. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That doesn't sound like someone who's bringing peace. He says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And yet he says, my peace I leave with you, and my peace I give you. What gives, Jesus? What's this about? Jesus understands that there is peace in one place. There's peace in him. And he is a stone. And we will either fall upon him and be shattered to pieces because of our humility in seeking him, or he will fall upon us and we will be crushed. He's a dividing line. If we find our lives inside the cleft of the rock in a dry and thirsty land, then we will find ourselves in a place of peace. To the extent that we are trusting the tour guide, we'll be in peace. As soon as we step out of that, We get mad at everyone else on the tour because I want to go over here and you guys are going there, but I want to go over here. Fine, forget you guys. And I go out here and do what it is that I want to do. I've lost peace. There's tension not only in me, but there's tension between me and those who are still on the tour bus. Those who are in Christ have peace. Those who are not in Christ will not experience peace. To the extent that I trust Christ, there will be peace. A mark of a Christian community 
is that of peace. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called. And Ephesians 2, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one by tearing down the dividing barrier. So here it is. John 16. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that you, so that in me you will have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus is like, I won the war. Oh, there's a war waging, but I already won it. Just hang out inside of me. If you trust me, I got this, and you'll have peace. It's this moment where he illustrates it perfectly, where he's in a boat sleeping, and the storm's all over the place, and his disciples are flipping out, even though there's a tour guide, but the tour guide's asleep. <laughs> and even though there's a dad and a, and a one who can handle it, but he's asleep. He doesn't see what's going on and they wake him up. Jesus is like, ah, you have little faith. Why aren't you trusting me? Peace, be still. Wind, waves, goes flat. And all of a sudden they're like, wow. But the peace was always with them. They just weren't trusting the peace because they weren't trusting Jesus. But he was always there. And he's always with us. And here's the amazing thing. It's the great blessing of the Old Testament that says he will, he will bless you and he will keep you. He'll protect you. He'll give to you. He'll make his face shine upon you. He'll lift up his countenance upon you. His presence will be with you and he'll give you peace. All of that is a spectacular promise and blessing of the Old Testament that says he'll give us peace. But in the New Testament, there's something that goes a whole lot further. It's not just that he promises to give us peace. It's a whole nother thing. It's that he promises to Produce his peace through us. And he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Because when they see the peace being produced in my children, they will know there's something different. And so when the world's going way too fast, we can bring the slow. And when the world's way too noisy, we can bring the quiet. And when the world's too chaotic, we can bring the simple. And when the world is nasty and ugly, we can bring the beauty. And when we do, we will be called children of God because they will know that the seed that's producing that fruit is not a human one. It's a divine one because it will reveal the beauty of God. Amen? Amen. Now, if any of us need it today, remember, the punishment that brings us peace was placed on him. You can receive it from him today if you haven't before.